Hey everyone, Alex Brandy here, New England Patriots cheerleader, and you're listening to Boston's Big Three Podcast presented by Ride the Wave Media. everybody this is episode 58 boston's big three presented by ride the wave media today we got a little new sponsor out there a sponsor that we're going to be having for a long time we'll be building on this over the next year or so uh it's mass vintage mass vintage after five years of selling vintage hats and clothing online they opened up a store in downtown amherst massachusetts in september of 2019 they buy, sell, and trade, and almost all of their merchandise is now purchased in-store from their vintage dealers or through online wholesale. If you're local and you have vintage clothing collecting dust, please bring it out to Mass Vintage by their shop for cash or credit. They'll do their best to offer an original collection of unique and sustainable goods for an affordable price. I butchered that entire ad read because I just put it together literally in five seconds before we hopped on this podcast, Mass Vintage, today. We have just... Uh, kind of agreed on something and we're going to go forward episode 58 is today the next episode episode 59 if you happen to be listening to this right away um make sure that you enter into our mass vintage giveaway we'll be giving away two fifty dollar gift cards to mass vintage uh and soon on some of these podcasts you'll be seeing some of us our boston's big three rocking some of those throwbacks just like joe stafford in the background there has a tie law um throwback and a chad johnson throwback that's some of the a, stuff that you'd actually- a signed a signed Ch- uh chad johnson throwback chris carter we got a lot of gems over here your microphone just hurt my ears right there i don't know how to you might have to turn that down a bit i you can find mass vintage is just for boston related things they have everything so make sure you check out the shop massvintage.com and their instagram at mass vintage mass vintage is also located at umass amherst speaking of umass amherst today's guest that we'll have later on in the show Carl Pierre, UMass basketball star, going into his senior year. And Joe Stafford will touch on that in a little bit before we head into the interview. That interview will be coming up in a couple minutes. First of all, Joe, we need to talk about Boston's Big Three podcast. I wake up yesterday. When I wake up, I have to go through hundreds of messages because I sleep during the day. Um, And I saw that in our group chat that people were saying we got ranked. We were actually ranked in podcasting. What do I do? I go right to the podcasting rank and I look and I couldn't find us. I have to actually go to a category. Uh, We are ranked, according to Chartable.com, we were ranked 204th overall in sports podcasting in America. And I was just taken aback, like just to see our name there. And our name is ahead of ESPN's NFL Live. Our name's ahead of Barstool Sports Going Deep, which is their football podcast, and uh, Mike Francesca's Mike on Francesco, who is like the top god of sports in New York City for WFAN. Uh, and we're only a couple spots back from some podcasts like Barstool Sports, Redline, uh, Redline Radio. Uh, and just seeing that was awesome. So first of all, I, I thank anybody that's listening right now. I thank any of our supporters more importantly, subscribing really helps. Like, I think that's the reason why we end up uh, gaining some popularity and traction was the subscribers. But listen, I was doing some research and just based on that chart, and you know what? Screw you if you want to look somewhere else. I'm looking just on that chart alone in the top 250. It was only Big Boston's Big Three and Felger Maz is the only two podcasts in the New England, Boston area that were on there. So we didn't fluff that up at all. We were literally saying, I didn't see Patriots Unfiltered on there. I didn't see any of these other stupid little podcasts on there. We we were on there. And um, to be now 58 episodes into this, it's not easy. Our first major guest, episode 40, was Ty Law. It took us 40 episodes, so we got a legitimate guest. And now we've been rolling. We, we've been absolutely rolling over these past uh, – few episodes especially between episode 50 and 60 right now we've been having a slew of great guests uh each time so um joe like what do you what do you think about just seeing that ranking what it means to be part of this uh, it's called boston's big three yes it was originally me grd tyler then it turns into me tyler and brendan and then you're like kind of like our bench guy you come right off the bench you know instead of the sixth man you're the fourth man but you're you have a legitimate shot uh yeah the, the way i look at that is I'm the Rondo of this. Uh, I'm the Rondo of this podcast, essentially. Is it still doing it? 
It was a little loud. It hurt my ears a bit. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, what is going on? Go ahead, talk. Yeah, is it is it fixed yeah, now? I think it's I think it's a little bit better. Okay. Anyway, uh, I'm basically the Rondo of this podcast right now. Essentially, what happens is Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, and uh, Kevin Garnett, and I'm Rondo, and I'm fine with that. But essentially, now the floodgates are open. Uh, our guests are, are really starting to pick up, and we're starting to you know, become really a, a prominent podcast in the Boston sports area. This is a big message to our haters because you guys keep delegitimizing us, saying that we're not, you know, legitimate. We're not uh, serious in terms of Boston sports uh, media exposure. Well, we're ahead of Paul Perillo. We're ahead of uh, Tommy Curran. We're ahead of a lot of these guys. You guys give credit to as being the big Boston sports guy, especially for Patriots news. Uh, so what's up now? Look, it's us and Felgren Maz. That's it. We're chasing greatness. Chris Sims, we're chasing you next. That's the number one podcast we're going after next. We're going after Crim Sims, who are only, I think, 10 or 20 spots uh, below right now in the rankings. We're taking them over. I mean, I look at it like I'll gloat and I'll have my five seconds of fame, and then who knows if that's even going to last. But the fact is, hey, for that one day, like yesterday, it made me excited. And even posting about it and, and just trying to do some quick analytics and saying, hey, we're above some of these people. I had people text me. And even when I went to work, people congratulating us like, hey, man, like, congratulations. Like, that's awesome. And and I think it. I hope that it's a start for something like us that can keep motivating. I think it's a motivational tool for us. I think it's something that, hey, we, we got something going. And I think those people that either who have supported us for the last couple episodes or since day one, it's like, oh, shit, like, yo, I really like these guys. And now they're getting to something or those people that have been teetering, like, ah, like, I don't really want to listen. I don't want to spend time. Oh, shit, they're ranked. Like, okay, maybe I'll, I'll listen to their next episode. So, I mean, it, it's, I mean, we're going to try to keep grinding and keep going up there. I don't know how long it's sustainable, but uh, I would be, if I'm hoping by next week we look again, we're a couple, we're either in the same spot or we moved up a couple spots. I would be very happy about that. But I think you know it's what we're going to do subscribers. We're going to ride the wave. That's 100% That's what we're going to do. We're just going to ride the wave. We're going to keep going with this momentum. The floodgates are open, like I said before. We're getting better guests after better guests. Uh, featured with Carl Pierre, of course, uh, this episode. And we're just going to keep going along. We're going to keep improving and uh, hop on the train now while you still can. So I noticed on the chartable thing, too, is that let's say if, you know, we just disappear off the chart. If you look us up on Boston's Big Three on that, it will always say our peak was 205 or 204. It will always say that. And I looked up some other podcasts out there that I will not name, people that I know that have other podcasts. And uh, I didn't see them ranked on certain ones. Like So uh, it tells you like their peak positions at, at one point or another. Now, Patriots Unfiltered at one point was ranked like 17th. Like they were up there. But you guys also got to think, too, we are in quarantine life. Not a lot of these sports podcasts are out there. So I'm interested when sports do come back, what's happening. But, hey, this is the time. While they're sleeping and they're not doing anything, we're here. We're all taking over. It's not just us on Boston's Big Three. It's the listeners. It's the viewers. You guys. We're all just taking over. We're sneaking in while they're all sleeping. So I was about to say, we're dedicated. They're kind of asleep at the wheel right now. We're capitalizing. Yeah. And this is what Ride the Wave Media is all about. Absolutely. And, and we're able to at least string in a couple of guests, uh, whether you're a collegiate athlete like Carl Pierre or you're an NBA champion like Brian Scalabrini. I mean, that's somebody that's not easy to get on a podcast. I had a couple DMs saying, like, how the hell do you get him on? And you just got to got to work the magic out there. But uh, Joe, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some NFL news before we get into the basketball interview. Um, so one thing is Seattle Seahawks are starting to show, according to JPA Football and uh, John Clayton, Seattle Seahawks' Russell Wilson loves Antonio Brown, and the Seahawks are showing interest in Antonio Brown. Now, Spike King released that back on April 28th, just an FYI, because I know somebody, my man Francisco, was actually with Antonio Brown down in Florida and watching him work out that day and just talked to him briefly, and AB said, Seattle's my top choice. It sounded like Seattle was going to – and Seattle seems like the team, and Pete Carroll seems like the the coach that will take the risk, quote-unquote, on someone like Antonio Brown because guess what? He took the risk last year on Josh Gordon, and here's the thing. The Patriots cut Josh Gordon, and everyone in New England was like, why the hell did Belichick do that? And you found out a couple weeks later why, what happened. But Seattle knew. Seattle swooped in. They spent their waiver pick on him. They got him, and they said, screw it. We'll take him for a couple weeks, and we'll ride the wave with him and see what ends up happening, which obviously didn't work out. But Seattle's that one of those teams in the league, one of those few teams that was willing to take a risk on somebody with maybe a troubled pass. I mean, obviously, Antonio has a troubled pass. But um, what would your thoughts be 
if Antonio Brown, let's just say he's he's all cleared, he's cleared to play, he lands in Seattle. And we were already talking on the podcast prior to this of Seattle being a Super Bowl favorite and our pick to be pretty much the champion. I think it was pretty much consensus between me, you, Jay the Pats fan, and uh, Justin Zolat. So what are you saying if Antonio Brown lands in Seattle? If Antonio Brown lands in Seattle and becomes a Seahawk full-time, the entire NFL is going to be shitting their pants. I'm going to tell you why right now. Number one, Josh Gordon's coming back. People keep forgetting that he's applying for reinstatement within the next couple of weeks. And guys, guess what? Weed's legal now. The NFL is no longer testing for THC. So not only are you getting Josh Gordon without the possibility of getting another suspension, you're getting high Josh Gordon. So it's the equivalent of Henny J.R. Smith. It's unstoppable. It's going to be unbelievable. And you factor in that with the fact that AB's already played with Josh Gordon. They played New England together for, give it one game, but they were practicing together before that. And Seattle already has one of the best receiving cores in the league. DK Metcalf was an absolute monster last year. People don't understand how good that guy was down the stretch for them in the playoffs. And one of the most criminally underrated guys in the NFL, in my opinion, Tyler Lockett. I mean, he beats everyone deep, one of the greatest route runners I've ever seen. And not to mention Russell Wilson, the all-pro quarterback, who's essentially a top-three quarterback for the past five, six years. So when you... Factor all of that together, it's going to be a dangerous, dangerous combination for Seattle uh, with Pete Carroll at the helm. And some people don't realize, too, is I think Josh Gordon's contract, I have no idea what it is, but I think he's still like kind of like on a rookie deal. It's dirt cheap. <laughs> it is dirt cheap. I, you, know, you know what? I'm getting paid more for Ride the Wave than Josh Gordon's getting from Seattle right now. Like, it's, it's unbelievable how cheap his contract is, and you bring someone like Antonio Brown in, and you have DK Metcalf. It's, and I said this on a prior podcast. I mean, getting Antonio Brown is the equivalent of what the Patriots were trying to do with Tom Brady. Let's try to go all in on this guy and get you somebody before you retire. Russell Wilson is up there in age. He's not up there, up there in age, but you know his time is ticking, especially for a mobile quarterback like him, Uh, especially if he rolls out of the pocket and gets slammed pretty hard. You never know it with an injury coming. He's someone that needs to get to one more Super Bowl and win one more Super Bowl to really cement his Hall of Fame career. I think he's going to be a Hall of Famer if he doesn't even go back to another Super Bowl. But you're really cementing it as a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening with uh, Antonio Brown. Any other NFL news out there that we should talk about? Uh, the number one thing I want to talk about on this podcast, it happened just a couple hours before. Um, oh, look at Babs. He's so cute. Anyway. Baby we, <laughs> there we go. Uh, anyway, so a couple hours before the podcast starts, uh, Joe Flacco, of all people, signs with the New York Jets. There's never been a more perfect combination in the NFL's history than burnt-out Joe Flacco going to back up Sam Darnold in New York. It's going to be an absolute clown show. Sam Darnold's already proven that he hasn't been a legitimate quarterback. Granted, he's had no weapons or no offensive line. But now they have no emotion Joe Flacco, no care Joe Flacco coming in to try to mentor Sam Darnold. This is going to be a nightmare. Joe Flacco hasn't been good at football since 2013. And Joe Flacco's not a great character guy either. There's no, there's no upside to this signing. I don't even understand why they did it in the first place. Flacco caught lightning in a bottle that, that, that playoff run. He absolutely did. He dominated. He looked great. Any quarterback can have that one great year, and then all of a sudden they completely fall off. I don't see it either. Maybe I think there's some sort of connection with Joe Flacco in the coaching staff. Like I, I just saw the tweet about it. Um, and he has a coach that he had in Baltimore and that they're together. But that makes no sense. You're going with Sam Darnold, sticking with Sam Darnold. And Joe Flacco's not the guy that you'd want mentoring Sam Darnold. Like, I'd rather have um, Josh McCown. I'd rather have a Ryan Fitzpatrick. I'd rather have a journeyman that's been around that you can get for cheaper money. What did Joe Flacco sign for, by the way? What's the money deal? All right, deal so the deal is it's a one-year, $1 million deal, but he can make up to $5 million, $4.75 million to be exact, in incentives. So if Sam Darnold goes down, he plays during the season. It's almost $5 million. That's a terrible value, number one. And two, Cam Newton's still on the market. Like, I'm, I I can't keep dealing with this nonsense. Like, yes, he doesn't fit the offense. Yes, he's not maybe the best mentor. But he's a better mentor and better player than Joe Flacco. Um, Man, I really wish I had the clip on my mind right now. Uh, first of all, Cam, first of all, are the Denver Broncos on the hook for Joe Flacco money at all? Like, I mean, he had that big-ass contract. How much was that guaranteed? 
I'm not sure what the payout's going to be regarding that, but I'm assuming they're still a little bit on the hook they, for they have, to, they have to owe something. They have to owe yeah. something. Secondly, if you haven't heard the Courtney Fallon interview, if you go the one before this, uh, Courtney Fallon talked about Cam Newton, talked about his character issues, and she was going in on him. And I'm pretty sure it was towards the end of the podcast and was just saying, like, he's not the character that you think he is. He's the, he's not the individual he think he is. And uh, I know that it seems like it's um, being blamed because of COVID and that they can't get a real physical on Cam Newton. I'm really starting to think because of the whole minority situation that's come out with the NFL head coaching. And if you have to hire somebody for a coach, you get these picks and this and that. When's the point that Cam Newton comes out and makes a complaint and says, why am I not hired somewhere yet? Why am I not hired by a team yet? Now, we don't know if really if Cam Newton's just holding out because he wants to get highly paid. I mean, I think Kaepernick was trying to do the same thing, too. And people just like Kaepernick, you're not worth that money. Like, we're not going to give you that money. But then Kaepernick kind of turned into a, sh- a circus show on top of that. When's Cam Newton going to turn into a circus? I think Cam Newton is because that's the type of individual he kind of is. He kind of is ha- has that attention. And let's just say Cam Newton wants, let's just say, we're, ju- we're just shooting the shit here. He wants $10 million, right? He wants $10 million for a starting role. And all 32 teams are like, honestly, I don't think that you're worth $10 million. But in Cam Newton's mind, he's like, I- I'm worth that. And that's fine. He thinks that he's worth that. No team's going to give him that. And then a year goes by and no team's still going to give him that. When does Cam Newton come out and say, I have been oppressed? He seems like the guy that might do that. I've been oppressed by the league and no one wants to take a shot on me, blah, blah, blah. Do you think I, never really, I never really considered that point of view just because I don't really think Cam's that type of guy to make that kind of excuse. I think he's got to make a certain type of excuse because I think he kind of blames a lot when's, of his problems on other when's people. When's it going to come? When's it going to come and how is it It's going to come in the next couple of months. If we go into the season, uh, you know, barring there's no COVID interference, it's training camp, it's preseason and stuff. If you get to week two, week three of the NFL season – and there's been some injuries maybe, and he still hasn't been signed, that's when it's going to start to come out. It's going to be kind of a similar uh, conversation like you earlier said. Uh, maybe Des Bryant is more of a better comparison than, than Colin Kaepernick in that he's saying, oh, I'm not getting any offers. Well, in reality, Des Bryant got a three-year, $15 million contract from the Baltimore Ravens. That's a yeah. fair value. So maybe Kim Newton's actually already gotten an offer he doesn't like and has been saying, hey, no one wants to touch me because they're afraid of what I'm going to do. I mean, and, and don't and those listening, don't turn this into Babs hates Cam Newton and Babs is trying to do some race biting or something like that. It has nothing to do with that. I think it's egregious that Cam Newton's not on a team right now. And there's got to be something behind the scenes, just like I think that's a great comparison with Des Bryant. I'm sure Cam Newton has got a pretty solid offer, but it's just not the offer he wants. And I just think at a certain point, He's going to get sick and tired and something's going to come out there and he's going to have to say, he's going to have to talk about it and say something about it. Um, and I, and I hope that Cam Newton remains absolutely professional through it, but dude, you're going to have to, I mean, you're not worth the money. And I think that in last year, you show that you're completely burnt out of the NFL. And I think he checked out last year. You could tell that. And I think it's just the injuries piling up. I think it's just, you had, and Cam Newton had his run. He was an MVP. They went 15 and one, they went to the Super Bowl. And I think that he's just completely burnt out in the league. I think he should try to take a step back, and he has to earn that again. I think he does have to earn it. And it's going to be interesting to see if Cam Newton is going to be, no, I deserve it, or he steps back and says, I'm going to earn this again. And I think that will separate him. I'm just very that's – a, that's a very interesting debate because you see a Flacco getting signed, and then you see – I mean, even look at someone like Winston. I mean, Winston has to take a step back. And Winston's like the third string right now on the Saints because they're all in on, on Taysom Hill. Like, they're all in on him. So Yeah, a little, little side bit here before we move on. Do you really buy that Taysom Hill is a franchise quarterback? No. Yeah, neither do I. I don't understand why quote-unquote Sean Payton believes it. I don't buy for a second that Taysom Hill is a franchise quarterback in the NFL. Give me a break. Driving up his stock for the season so that way halfway through the season at the trade deadline, they can trade him to a a team that needs a quarterback in an emergency situation uh, that is trying to fight for the playoffs. It could be a smart move because then guess what? They have Jameis Winston as their next quarterback of the future. I mean, I look at Taysom Hill as almost like a chess piece where let's see how much we can drive up his stock and let's try to trade him for whatever value we can get out of him. Uh, And it's like a Garoppolo situation where – 
I mean, they could have got a first rounder for Garoppolo if they traded him at the right time. They sat on it. They still got a, They still got their second rounder back. It's not like they lost value out of Garoppolo. I think it's a trade. I think it's almost a trade piece for the for the uh, Saints. And I think they'll use Taysom Hill as a second stringer and try to use him in certain plays with Breeze and then try to trade him at the trade deadline. If I if I'm a betting man, I'd say they trade him, and you have Jameis Winston because it sounds like this could be Breeze's last year if they even have a season. Whatever happens. Uh, you have Jameis Winston waiting. Jameis Winston is the serviceable quarterback that could take over that franchise for a couple years. It's a bridge quarterback while they draft their new guy. Mark my words right now. Jameis Winston will be the next franchise quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. Put it down. Ink. I'm going to double down with you. Jameis Winston will win a Super Bowl in New Orleans for the New Orleans Saints. In the now next that's five a hot years. take. That's the hottest of hot takes because you want to call him a franchise quarterback, I'm going to say they're going to win a Super Bowl. I'm going to say that Jameis Winston wins a Super Bowl more recently than Drew Brees does. So that means Drew Brees ain't winning one anymore. That's it. He's done. And Jameis Winston will win one. When he takes over and in his next, I'll, I'm say five years, but in his, if he starts next season, 2021, he'll win one within three years. I think he wins one within three years. So 2022, 2022, 2023, Book it, the New Orleans Saints. Because guess what? Tom Brady and the, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they're going all in on that division, right? They own that division for the next two years, okay? I, I get that. Brady's out of there. Carolina's trying to rebuild. You, you have uh, Tampa Bay will be on a complete rebuild because they're investing everything into Tom Brady and winning in the now. Jameis Winston is only 26 years old. He's going to learn under Drew Brees. He's got a great head coach in Sean Payton. He's got Kamara, Michael Thomas, and a great organization, great fan base down there that will support Jameis Winston 100%. You play inside a dome. I think that's in the making of a recipe for a 2023 uh, Super Bowl appearance. I I think that the cards are in there for the New Orleans Saints. I like that. I I really do. And if they can trade Taysom Hill and you build that up, um, you get some great value out of him. That's a piece for Jameis Winston for the future, wherever they use that draft pick or whatever they get in return for him. And who doesn't want to play in New Orleans? New Orleans is a fun, fun city. And I think Jameis Winston, who's already showed, even though he threw 30 picks, shows that, hey, this guy can throw. This guy threw for 5,000 yards. This guy threw for 33 touchdowns. You know those, those receivers are going to like that. And don't forget, he got LASIK in the offseason, too. He can finally yeah. read uh, car license plates. He can read street signs. Give him... Give him a year under Drew Brees. Take a step back. Hey, Jameis, breathe for a second. Heal up because we're going to give you the push. I even might think Odell Beckham could end up in New Orleans. Maybe he ends up getting traded away from Cleveland. There is, there is one downside of Jameis Winston being a long-term starter in New Orleans. Do you want to know what it is? Crab legs. Crab legs. There's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of crab legs down in New Orleans. The Big Easy. The Big Easy, dude. He's going to love that gumbo. I feel like Jameis Winston – is that quarterback, though? Because you'd imagine him winning the Super Bowl and being Super Bowl MVP and then Mardi Gras right there. Jameis Winston, man, would own that city, just like how Joe Burrow was down there and that city came around him at LSU. I think Joe, I think Jameis Winston, because he's a, he's a South guy. He's just, it just it would fit. It would fit in New Orleans. I think that Sean Payton has something. And now I'm locking in the New Orleans Saints for a future Super Bowl victory. Um, any last NFL news before we get into our interview, Carl Pierre? No, let's kind of transition to this uh, interview here. Uh, Carl Pierre, great kid. I went to high school with him, actually. Went to Boston College High School with him. Uh, graduated the year after me, or before me, I should say. Um, he is really a baller, and I can't really describe him any other way. I mean, he describes his game as a CJ McCollum type guy. I see Devin Booker. I really do. I mean, the the, the ability for him to hit mid-range shots, change his shot up mid-air, uh, facilitate an offense through a number two, uh, the number two. Uh, it's kind of a, a, a crazy testament to the coaching that he's received from both uh, the high school level and the collegiate level. And now he's starting to see the, the benefits of that. You have a UMass team that's very, very young, up-and-coming star in Trey Mitchell, the center. And Pierre's leading the way. Uh, his freshman year of college, he shot 47% from the three. 47%. That's an unheard of number. And now he goes into his junior year uh, that we got cut short because of Corona. Obviously, we talked about that during the interview. But look out for UMass to be really a big player, maybe even make a tournament bid uh, in the senior season. I know. I also saw that he's only the 52nd player in UMass history to reach 1,000 career points. And he just did that uh, in, in January. 
So, and I mean, 50-second player, think of how many players that come through that UMass basketball system over the years. And, and that's a little something-something in the back of his mind to be like, awesome. And, uh, you know, yeah, some people could look at UMass and say, well, they're not a real D1 school. And th- I mean, they're D1 school. They're, they're, it's, he's a collegiate athlete, and he's grinding, and you just never know what the possibilities are for Carl Pierre. Is there anything that we should look out for in this interview that, that sticks out to you? Yeah, uh, Tyler Miller basically made his bid for why he should be a professional athlete uh, about five times during the interview. He kept saying, he kept, he kept comparing his career to Carl Pierre's career, saying, oh, I was on the same AAU team, and he kept going back and forth with them like he was an actual basketball player. So that was kind of funny. Tyler Miller is a string bean, dude. He's as big as my <laughs> pinky. The guy is tall, dude. He's a monster. He's like 6'5". We had him and Caden stand next to each other, and it was like Shrek and Donkey. But the dude was a string bean. I could box him out and just fucking throw a couple bows down low and score on him. No, but um, it, was, it was a fun interview, fun environment. Carl really took to that uh, that interview process. He made it his own. Um, and I'm sure we'll have him back for future uh, podcasts, maybe even sprinkle a little business deal with him. We're kind of talking about that, uh, potentially partnering up with Ride the Wave Media, so... And, and what I like with these college athletes before we get right into this is that we want to follow your journey. You know, Carl Pierre, Pat Fryermuth, Damian Williams, you know, we, we want to follow, you know, what you're doing because not only are we following you, our, our viewers and listeners want to kind of follow your career as well, too. And we want to be supportive as well. We appreciate you guys coming on here. And, uh, and yeah, we would love to have him come back on, especially when basketball season gets back into the swing of things for his senior year. Let's get right into it right now. Carl Pierre, Boston's Big Three. Here we go. And welcome in, guys, with our special guest, uh, UMass Amherst star Carl Pierre. Carl, what's going on, brother? What's going on, man? How are you? Good. How are you, man? Like, I'm happy to have you on the show. I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but actually me and Carl went to high school together. Yes, he sir. A year uh, after me, or before me, I should say. Uh, pretty much carried our entire basketball team, the entire program, along with Travis. Nah, not even. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and now he's at UMass Amherst as a junior. Carl, uh, what's been the journey like so far? Uh, I mean, it's been good, man. Um, coming out of high school, I mean, obviously, I didn't like I wasn't the most highly recruited and whatnot. Um, but UMass came through late, but they came through. Um, and it's kind of been a ride ever since. I've had a smooth little career here. Uh, I love it. So it's been good. Definitely. Um, so just before we dive into really the college career here, uh, I just wanted to go back to our roots, BC High, your favorite memory from uh, high school hoops. Favorite memory from high school hoops? Man, um, honestly, probably we used to have Sunday practices and then we'd go to IHOP as a team. So that was always fun. Yeah, I love that. Love that part. Uh, with Coach Lockney, obviously one of the best coaches in uh, high school Massachusetts basketball history. Um, yeah. Dude, did you play basketball? Were you on the team? Me? No. Yeah. Uh, oh, I had no idea. I was, <laughs> I, I was picturing <laughs> you two as teammates. I'm like, no, oh, I'm terrible basketball. You can no, uh, Colin does. I played pickup with him a couple times at lunch and stuff. <laughs> I went like one for eight from three. And I was just like, I'm done. I got to go out of here. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, seriously. Uh, but speaking of that, uh, what is your relationship like with Coach Lockney and that entire program at BC High? Man, it's still we're st- it's still a good relationship. Um, we have like annually they have a Christmas Eve like little event where alumni come back and we get to play pickup with the with the current team and whatnot. And I go to that every year, so it's it's been cool. We talk. Um, I still talk to my old teammates a lot, so it's been close. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Uh, so coming into UMass Amherst, obviously uh, they came in late when in the recruitment process, and you weren't uh, necessarily expected to be a star right away. Um, but then really surpassed everyone's expectations, shot 47% from three, which is unbelievable. Take me through that run of freshman year and just how that really affected your mindset. Uh, to be honest, I knew I, I would get the chance to play freshman year, um, even though the expecta- expectations weren't too high. But I just tried to come out, uh, come out and just play. Uh, just let it fly, and it just it fell for me. Can I say? Definitely. Going into college, like the biggest thing you wanted to to change about your game, or one area you wanted to improve upon going into the college level. Honestly, I think the biggest improvement I wanted to make was probably just getting stronger. Um, a lot of freshmen come in skinny and whatnot, and I was one of them. So I just wanted to get stronger and just to be ready for the pounding. And it's a long season. Absolutely. Before uh, before you got to like high school, did you play AU basketball? Um, I'm assuming growing up. Yeah. What teams did you play for? 
I played for Bay State Magic in Metro Boston. Okay, so we probably played you. We were I played for like a small like the Shockers and PVC Chaos. It was like the Worcester yeah, area. But uh-huh. how important do you think like especially going into college is the AU like program process? Everyone says it's like a totally different game, which I agree with because in high school yeah. you kind of play more team oriented sports. You're, you're sure. representing a school in AAU. You see a lot of guys trying to get on the map. Uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But what are your thoughts on, I guess, how AAU basketball has transitioned to like one of the premier scouting for basketball at such a young age? Um, I just feel like I'm not sure if AAU is necessarily like important in terms of development, but I feel like as of now, it's become really the only way to get like noticed to make it to the next level. So I think that's probably the biggest um, factor to AAU, to be honest. And I think you saying that the game is different, that's for sure. That's true for sure. Yeah, I mean, the difference between a high school gym and, like, a mass premiere Mplex, something like that. It's, it's so different, bro. Game, like, eight <laughs> different games going right. on instead. So, I don't know. I, especially with that, uh, this is kind of just leading to another thing. You see guys going from high school to AU and not even to college anymore. Obviously, like, the G League's growing. Um, what are your thoughts as a college player, like, I'm not in the situation, obviously, that these guys are in, but I feel as a college is an experience that you definitely don't want to, like, let go. You kind of want to experience the fact you're a college mm-hmm. athlete, you're the man on campus for uh, a season. Yeah. Is that worth $500,000 to get a G League check to get rid of, or? <laughs> uh, to be honest, I feel like if you have the opportunity to go to the G League, you might as well take it, to be honest. It makes sense why people are taking the jump from high school straight to the pros. Uh, they're not losing out on that year of uh, earnings. This is one thing. Um, right. Ex- so, I mean, exactly. But it's, it's kind of an interesting segue here because now the NCAA is actually allowing players to profit off their image for the first yeah. time really in, in history. So you're gonna, I think it's going to start to see a little bit more, more of like a different dynamic going on where as in the G League, you can profit $500,000 professional coaching and stuff. Obviously, there's, there's uh, the pros and cons of that. But at the same mm-hmm. time, now you can actually make college uh, money off of your likeness while still playing at a, a prestigious program. Do, so it's going to be an interesting kind of balance. Like- did you ever do those uh, Holy Cross camps growing up in like the summers or whatever? Nah, I went to, I think uh, I went to Northeastern. All right. Yeah. So I just went to Holy Cross because it's right down the road. But I feel as if it's like an, a way more intense as Holy Cross, like Northeastern just camp, it sounds like from everything I've been reading. It's not even like they're playing, yeah, games, but it's not a schedule. There's no, there's no, I guess, yeah. incentive behind it. You're just doing a bunch of workouts, doing a bunch of, uh, drills. You are scrimmaging some of the best players, and you guys are kind of like a talent together. But mm-hmm. I feel as if uh, the college is the route for the time being. I know I always argue saying like go to the G League, but my pres- uh, perspective—that's not, not a word—perspective that kind of changed <laughs> over like time because I'm saying you want to have that experience of these are a bunch of fans that care about a team as opposed to these are a bunch of scouts caring about just me. That was just my two cents on it. I'm not sure if that was more of a universal thought in college basketball, like community, but I just want to pick your brain about it. Oh, uh, so are you? So you're saying? So you're saying? Damn, what? Hold on. <laughs> so you? Okay, I'm trying to figure this out. So you said you? So instead of skipping, like you want to have like the fan atmosphere of college instead of like the. Yeah, I feel as if because and businessy atmosphere of the G League. Yeah, because I feel I as mean, if you if you are a if you are a like an 18, 17 year old kid about to go to college or the G League or something like that. Yeah, you you're used to playing for a team. You used to represent as something bigger than yourself. I'm not sure yeah. how well it is to transition to. Hey, I'm literally in the G League program to better me. Uh, it's gonna help teammates eventually, but you you don't go and sign with the team. You go sign up for a camp. Whereas in college, you're, you're again playing for a team. You get a bigger yeah, atmosphere, exactly to something like that. I'm not sure mm-hmm. if that's a big factor that when it goes into these types of decisions, or even just with your thoughts on like the whole situation. I feel like it. It really depends on like the situation that you're like that specific prospect is in, and yeah. like what their preference is. But if their ultimate goal is to go to like to go play pro and whatnot in the NBA, whatever it is. I don't really, I, I don't know. Like, I don't think they're wrong to go. Like, even yeah, though it's right. like the campy structure, there is going to be that at the end of their one year when they have to go to the combine and mm-hmm. interviews and whatnot and workouts or whatever it is. It's going to be that. So I feel like it's, you're kind of giving up that like 
college experience. Yeah, yeah. Just to get ahead in that way and to get your money going. And I don't know. I never yeah, thought I about mean, it. Like, there's no correct really. answer, but as just a college basketball I really never player, thought about I it. I just wondered what you guys are kind of thinking about it. Yeah, but in your situation, at the same time, you become the zoo, like the number one party school in like the country. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not, not all about the know. game. <laughs> like, oh, dead. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, I mean, like, think about there, it. There like, for sure is value team. in like that college experience. You know, I get that too. But at the same time, like you go in the G League and you're automatically working your ass off. Like it's, you're you're basically a professional at that point. You're working mm-hmm. with some of the best coaching talent in the world. You're grinding. You're trying to make a name for yourself in a semi-professional sports league. Whereas in college, you would practice. You have games. It's obviously a, a serious commitment. And you're obviously working uh, almost seven days a week. But at the same time, you can go back to your dorm room and like party. Like you can go directly. Nah, see, the thing is, the thing is, I think it's like the grind of being a pro is like a lot but the thing about college is like a pro they go to practice they get their workout in and they have the whole day that's like four or five hours of your whole day so if you want to go i mean uh, i don't know man like that's tough that's really tough that's tough no it was supposed to be an easy question you're supposed to make you think a little bit yeah there's no value in like the atmospheres from either side because you're not going to get that same playoff college atmosphere from like uh NCAA tournament, if you will, to just coaching in the G League. It's going to yeah, be a different a value on either side. Yeah. And that's even a, a different question, too, because like the national media spot is obviously going to be on college, at least for the time being, when you have mm-hmm. schools like Duke oh, who are yeah. still in the national spotlight, when no one's really watching these G League teams. Like, no one's going to watch, no one wants LaMelo Ball be the headliner at a G League game. You know what I mean? <laughs> They're going to watch Zion Williamson at Duke. So it's just like, yeah, a, that's, well, yeah that's, that's even the thing when, like, say the Anthony Bennett's, the Dragon Benders, like these just <laughs> random names that get drafted so high. It's like, yeah, you can have all this talent, but nobody knows who you are. And, the NBA is such as like a marketable league. It's like part of the draft process is like I want someone that's gonna help my franchise as well that's as like fact. draw draw uh, I guess media attention. This is why mm-hmm. like Lamelo Ball, for example, we're gonna continue with him. He obviously is a, one of the best prospects out there, but he also has that whole dynamic of there's gonna be twenty four seven media coverage on this team. Like that's yeah. an end goal. So the yeah. G League, I think they take that part away as opposed to like college or something like that. You can grow grow your brand through that way. Yeah, this is just a conversation I could talk hours about with anybody about basketball. (laughs) Yeah, kind of transitioning here, uh, just for the people at home that aren't really, uh, maybe not familiar with your game and everything. Um, growing up and now even to the point where you're still developing your game at the collegiate level, who do you kind of model your game after? Oh, um, I'd say guys I really like to watch, I like their games. Guys like CJ McCollum, I love CJ McCollum, he's so good, bro. And he's, like, really skilled with the basketball. He gets to his spots. He can get a shot off at any time. Uh, Devin Booker, that's another example of, of, like, a really skilled guard. So I just try to watch kind of guards like that where, like, my physical profile is similar to them, but I like the skill that they have with their game. No, most definitely. I mean, those are two prime examples of elite guard play in the NBA. Uh, sure. And obviously, a transition to any level of basketball, rather that's, whether that's professional or college. Um, so, going into UMass, your junior year, uh, obviously, the season wasn't able to be finished because of uh, mm-hmm. the effects of the coronavirus, COVID-19. Talk me through the process of what uh, that was like, having to stop a season uh, really midway through, and how the effects kind of lingered. It was super disappointing, uh, especially the way it did end. So we were at our conference tournament in Brooklyn. We were playing at the Barclays Center. And we were literally on the court. Like, we did the warm-ups. We were just about to head to our benches, um, like, for the national anthem and whatever and whatnot. And as we're heading to the bench, they told us, like, it, like that, that was it. It was over. I think that was super disappointing because we had some momentum going into the tournament. We were confident that we were going to be able to make a run. And it's kind of like it's disheartening not being able to actually – play out the season and see how it how it goes because anything could happen we could have made the tournament we could have not but i want to see like how it would end yeah and obviously effects, it's frustrating for every single team for sure i mean definitely and then uh i know obviously you can't speak to it as much because there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding this uh topic i'm about to bring up here but what have your coaches what have your administration said about potentially bringing back the season uh even in practice fashion uh, when it comes to the fall uh, as of right now, the NCAA, um, like the season, they said the season, the basketball season at least is on as planned. 
um, <laughs> to start in November. Um, in our schedule, we start November 12th. We have, I think it's like Brian at home or something like that. And that's on the schedule. But, like, it's kind of tough right now because our summer sessions have started and we're it's really not looking like we will be on campus. So we're kind of just waiting to see what happens. But as of right now, the season's still on. Yeah, no, the amount of uncertainty going into that for really any program, regardless of the sport, is just it's just staggering. I mean, right. the, the fact that that can have, not even just your expectations for the season, but just how you move forward as an administration, as an athletic department, because you saw a lot of these colleges, especially lower-funded colleges that are even high divisions, starting to cut programs, uh, right. cut their football program, cut their basketball mm-hmm. program. Um, and I'm really really not even interested but really just hard to see that happen in the future because if we do have to deal with this uh going into next year and there's a potential spike coming into next year we're going to see a lot more programs starting to fold and a lot more mm-hmm. athletes dreams coming to a close so it's going to be a right. very very uh tough future looking ahead when it comes to that obviously we're hoping for the best and and hopefully we can work around it but uh like you said earlier if you're, if you're not moving in you're not going to have athletics because it's not a right. there's not a shot in how the NCAA allows that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, at a school like UMass, twenty five thousand students, it's hard to get everyone else back on campus, right? Uh, functioning normally and maybe even social distancing wise, and having to do athletics on top of that. So mm-hmm. it's definitely going to be a, a tough thing. We're obviously hoping that everything goes well. Right. Um, wh- speaking on the positive side of this, uh, what are your expectations for the team going to next year uh, in terms of maybe the tournament? I'm super excited about next year. Um, we have a talented group of guys, young group of guys. They're ready to go. They're eager. Um, so I think, honestly, we kind of like hold our destiny in our hands. We can go as far as we want to go. Uh, we can go as far as we we buy in and and as far as our chemistry allows us to go. So that's really the most uh, exciting part, uh, just being able to – like we have every piece that we need. Now it's just – about going out and actually doing it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I just wanted to ask a question about one of your teammates, actually. Trey uh, Mitchell, I believe his name is. I'm not sure if I got that right or anything. Um, so I get some research before the, the show. He obviously showed some serious promise coming into uh, this season. Uh, what are your thoughts mm-hmm. on his progression from when you met him uh, earlier this year into what he transformed into by the end of the season? Super proud of the kid. Um, he just, as the season went on, you could, you could see that he was growing more comfortable with the game, uh, with the speed of the game and whatnot. And by the end of the season, he was damn near unstoppable. We are throwing it down there through double teams. He's getting a shot off. He's making the right reads, right passes. So I was just like big hats off to him. Yeah, no, it's interesting to see the effect that even from our high school past, seeing how like the leadership qualities have kind of transitioned into college. I mean, we've seen you've blossomed into a leader uh, on this UMass basketball team and how it's kind of uh, you kind of led the way for these younger guys and starting to pay off when it comes to guys like Mitchell uh, really thriving in his role. Uh, You spoke to him's ability trying to uh, develop to the speed of the college game as opposed to high school. Uh, Was that one of your obstacles going into college as well? Uh, Yeah, for sure. Uh, At first. Um, I think more so when I first got on campus, more so than by the time the season came, um, everybody in college is athletic. Everybody in college is quick. Everybody's strong. Um, so it's just kind of have like figuring out how to get your, like your game off, how to get off what you, what you do. Um, so I think that was the first, like, that was a big adjustment at first. Yeah, hundred percent. I think I think any player would say that no matter what the sport is, that the game really changes as as you improve levels. Uh, I got one last question for me at least. Um, who, obviously, you've played against some elite level talent both in high school, being the Catholic Conference, and being in uh, D one basketball at UMass Amherst. Um, who has been your favorite personal matchup so far in your career? My favorite personal matchup ah, at UMass like, or just toe, in general? Just in general, toe for toe with a guy, just going back and forth. <laughs> Anywhere, like it, anywhere. anywhere. Okay, 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 okay. Oh, my favorite matchup. I'm trying to say beef right now. Ha! Not even. Um, <laughs> probably my guy, uh, Travis Evie. Travis, Me and him, we've been in the gym for I don't even know how many hours over our time at BC High, and even now. So just like I always look forward to summertime and get being able to get back in the gym with him and being able to play one on one. Where is he now? I forget. Uh, he just, he's at Rice. 
He's at Rice. Okay, yeah. Because yeah. I, I saw his mixtape a couple weeks ago when he put it <laughs> No, I was, I was happy for the kid. I mean, obviously, we weren't, yeah. we weren't close in high school or anything, but like, I, uh-huh. I was happy to see him succeed like that. Yeah. Uh, Brandon and Tyler, anything else? Uh, Wait, say that again? No, I said Brandon and Tyler, anything else? Uh, well, <laughs> oh. But what are your expectations going to, to this next and your personal about things you want to improve on for your final, final senior year? Um, I just want to improve on my game in general. Um, being able to make plays off the dribble, um, continuing to be able to knock down shots, and just continue, like just continuing to build my game in general. Being able to make reads on the fly and whatnot. Totally. Uh, expectations. Then- I would say I just honestly I just want to make the tournament more than anything. More than anything. Totally. All right, we always end our. Uh, interviews with like rapid fire questions. So yeah. I, got, I got four quick ones for you. First one, right. you can wear one pair of basketball shoes for the rest of your life in any game you play in. Which one are you picking? Uh, KD sixes. Okay, my answer is KD four. The KD four. Bro, you yeah. listen to this. The strap I've never, strap. I've literally never had a pair of KD fours, and I want them so that was bad. The first bro. pair of shoes I ever customized in like bro, I, want them so bad. I had like every colorway is fire. Yeah, I've heard they're super comfortable. Uh, pre-game ritual. Pre-game ritual. Um, I just have like a little routine of shots that I take before the games. Some like, uh, how old were you when you first dunked, and what was your best dunk in a game ever? Uh, I was, I don't know well, what the age was, but it was <laughs> the summer. What was it? I think it might've been like the summer, either the summer going, I think it was the summer going into eighth. No, right after eighth grade. And, uh, did you ever like catch a body in the game that like suck with you? Or? Uh, I, let me see. I, it's either. All right. So it's either one, it was at the park in town. Uh, I came, I think it was like left. And I, I think I dunked them with the right. Either that, or it was at the U. Um, I threw an outlet up the court. Then I just kept running down the middle. My teammate threw it back, and I went off two. And say, those <laughs> are the games when everybody starts playing like NBA. <laughs> Nobody's watching. If you miss, who cares? Why not try anything? Last one. What's the first thing you're gonna do when you get back to UMass once all of this mess is over? <sighs> Drink. Oh, let me see. I'm dead. Uh, damn, I don't even know. Probably get a slice of pizza from Antonio. That was a good answer. I was going to make basketball. I thought it was going like, to get shot up in the gym or something like that. But no, nah, a slice of pizza. I Bro, love what? It's a real one. <laughs> Carl, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Uh, hopefully, we have you on later in the year. And hopefully, we wish all you the best uh, coming in the next season. And hopefully, everything gets uh, put away nicely. So, appreciate it. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. And that was Carl Pierre, UMass Amherst uh, shooting guard. Like we said, great kid, fun interview, uh, provide a lot of great content for us. Uh, a lot of little interesting tidbits there uh, with his comparison of his game to CJ McCollum and Devin Booker, like I said earlier in the interview. Um, Babs, I think he has a real potential to be uh, a real player next year and really lead a tournament charge for a UMass team that's really been dormant the past 10 years. Yeah, I think just like you said prior to the interview, if they can get a bid into the tournament, that's huge. I think even if you can pull a school like that, like UMass, and get them into a bid, when was the last time that UMass was in the NCAA tournament? That was probably when they had back in the 90s, like in 95 or something like that. And I can't think of the top of my name that somebody actually went to the NBA that was from UMass. Why can I think of this right now? Because he played, I believe, for Houston. And uh, God damn it, it was a center. I, I'm, I'm Now I'm mad. You're mad now? I'm mad because I just it should be a name that should be easy to pop in my head. Whatever. Come, come on, no, I, I, come on, keep guessing. You, do you know? I know. I'm gonna end up googling it. No, I'm pretty sure I know. It's Marcus Camby. Yeah, Marcus Camby, right? Marcus Camby. He, he played in the NBA, right? Yeah. Now he was pretty good in the NBA too. He was pretty good in the NBA. They, I believe, they went to the. I think they had a bid in in the tournament. I just screwed all that up. Anyways. I think that if someone like Carl Pierre can help lead a team like that, your stock goes up, especially for the NBA. I mean, you have anybody can Kentuckys and Kansases and Dukes can all get in all the time because of just their team organization. But you're like, wow, you 
led this team that hasn't made an appearance in like 20 years and you got him in there, you're, you're, you got something special on you. Maybe we give you a trial. Maybe we can kind of keep an eye on you. Um, maybe you can make yourself into the G League. You know, there, there are possible yeah. ways of getting yourself and climbing up the rankings. And this is not only uh, a bid for Carl Pierre's career in terms of the tournament bid, but in terms of Ride the Wave Media, we're providing him some great exposure. And obviously, it goes a two-way street there because he obviously he's providing us an opportunity to interview him as well. But at the same time, guys, if you're listening, if you're a college athlete, you know someone who's a college athlete that wants to get featured, that wants to get some exposure, DM us. We're willing to have you guys on if we, you know, figure out the details of it but guys we're open to it we want to follow your guys careers we want to make sure that kids from mass and the new england area get the exposure they, they deserve yeah college athletes are actually huge because you can use this platform if you're somebody it's funny because let's just say for an example some of these guys that got drafted by the patriots like in the you know later rounds fifth sixth seventh round they have like real no following on instagram and then like the second they get drafted they're following and stock goes up and i think it's a good way to just come on and sit down for an interview we're not here to trip you up we're here just to shoot the shit and talk it out and uh i think it's a good way to keep building a portfolio if you're an athlete because something that's uh uh professional leagues are going to look into is how do you talk to the media how do you handle yourself what are some of the things and people want to learn more about you so the more media exposure you get the better it is as a college athlete because yeah, you're building your own personal brand, which turns into sponsorships, which is extra money in your pocket. So, um, Joe, moving on, I want to talk about the NFL playoff structure that just kind of got released. I didn't really look into it, but I just want to say off the bat, I hate, 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 hate these play-in games. I hate, hate, hate that the top teams get a bye. That is a huge disadvantage for a top team. Uh, I mean, I get in football if you're a top team. You get a break. You get that bye week. That's understood. Basketball, you don't do that. Uh, you have the wild card play-in game now in terms of baseball. But still, baseball, you don't really do that. And uh, and and uh, basketball, you don't do that. The number one seed should be just play playing the worst team. The number one seed, the Boston Bruins, should not be having a bye. That absolutely hurts them because – Whatever that first series is that they have to play against, you know, that team that's coming in, they just had five, six games. And now they're kind of warmed up and ready to go, and you guys have not played a game yet. You guys are going to go down 0-2, and then you're going to try to figure that out in the third game. I don't think that benefits the Boston Bruins at all. I don't think that benefits any team that has a bye. I just don't get it. And forget playing a game. How about practicing? These guys haven't even played together in months. Don't talk about the games. Talk about Allen Iverson. The practice. You have to talk about that. Like, that's when team chemistry is built. That's how you develop your game plan. That's how you develop how you play against your next opponent. So like you said, Babs, when you have a team come in that's played five, six games uh, of NHL playoff hockey, which is probably the best sport to watch live, uh, any playoff series, any major sports, NHL playoff hockey, that's the real deal. And you come in having played absolutely no actual action the past few months, and you just walk into a team that's already burning hot that's a bad recipe for success yeah and like yeah you can go and practices and play hard against each other and practice it's still practice against your own team you can do exhibitions with other teams if you want to that's still not going to be like you said playoff hockey where you know hey we're on the line every game counts and i think it's just such a huge disadvantage and it's gonna honestly suck if if and i'm just saying if if the Boston Bruins get eliminated right away because it's just like that team was hot, that team was clicking at the right times during the season, and that team should be in the Stanley Cup. They should 100% be in the Stanley Cup the way their season was, and it's going to sting when we look back on this in maybe five years from now when you looked at the COVID season and look at the Boston Bruins who just were in the Stanley Cup, lost Game 7 to the uh, St. Louis Blues, and knowing that they had a little chip on their shoulder the next year to – we need that little vengeance tour. We need to come back and show that we're still there and that COVID ruined the chances of yeah. him winning the Stanley Cup. And not to mention, the number one guy that I would be, if I was him, I'd be pissed, David Postonek. I mean, he had 48 goals in yeah. 70 games. You're robbing him of a 50-goal season. You know how angry that would make him? And not to mention, we'll talk about this kind of later when we bring in maybe Bruins Warrior the next couple of weeks uh, for the podcast. But Postonek's best season up to this point, 2017-2018, he played all 82 games, right? He had 35 goals. He had 48 through 70. He had yeah. 12 more games. He was going to get 50 easy, maybe even 60 the way he was scoring. So you rob a historically good season away from one of the best players we have. It's a travesty. 
someone said, you know, I'm going to make a quick comparison, but you look at him and that's a contract right there that you're losing. You're losing money because of those extra games. And someone actually said, look at Mookie Betts. That guy wanted $400 million. Like, that's what he was trying to aim for. He was trying to aim high. And because of COVID and because of the shortened season, this guy might lose $200 million because now the leagues might not want to pay as much. They might not want to do all this guaranteed money uh, because of how much money is being lost. Um, and, it, and, it, and it absolutely sucks for these players and these athletes. I'm sure the older generations like doesn't care because they didn't get paid the way they get paid now. But at the same time, it sucks to put in all that effort and you should deserve that big payday and it's not going to come. I feel bad for Pasternak. I feel bad for Chara too because Chara's on his last leg. That Honestly, guy, I, he, can I be honest with you? Can I be frank? Yeah. So they know Chara hasn't been good at hockey for like three years. Yeah. He's a turnstile. Yeah. He, like he's just there for sentimental value at this point. And, and and it felt though that this year they didn't really need him, need him, and he could have been carried to another Stanley Cup appearance. And just think about that. If Sedano Chara won another Stanley Cup, Four Stanley Cup appearances and wins two of them. I mean, that's that's good for Zidano. I mean, he's he's a hockey Hall of Famer. He he's yeah. in there. But uh, and I just as Tuca as well too. Tuca needed needed to get over that hump soon of winning a Stanley Cup. I mean, he he's I say Tim Thomas is still better than I think if Tim Thomas was on the Boston Bruins last year and you had peak Tim Thomas, you had peak Tuca Rask. If you had peak Tim Thomas. They would have won the Stanley Cup. Peak Tim Thomas is one of the best playoff goalies I've ever laid my eyes on. That 2011 yeah. run was so special. Yeah. But with Tuka Rask, talking about getting over the hump of winning a Stanley Cup, how about getting over the hump of playing consistently? I yeah. mean, this guy doesn't know how to play consistent. Like, it's unbelievable. The fact that Halak is that much worse of a goalie. Granted, he's still a good goalie, but he's that much worse in terms of talent than, than Tuka Rask. I still take Halak just because he actually, you know what you're going to get every night. When you put Tuka Rask out there, he could be a shutdown goalie or give up four goals in a period. Yeah. Any last, any, any last words from you, Joe, before we end this? Um, shout out again, Carl Pierre. Thanks for coming on the show. Great interview. Another thing before we go, me and Babs started the campaign a couple days ago with this post in Ride the Wave Media. Lawyer Malloy should be in the Patriots Hall of Fame. If you guys haven't checked it out yet, go to Spike King's Instagram or Ride the Wave Instagram and check out Lawyer Malloy's uh, bid for the Hall of Fame. Ty Law comments on it. That's one half of the law and lawyer combo of the late 90s, early 2000s that is bidding for him. And guess what? The Patriots Hall of Fame account liked that comment. So we're getting somewhere on this on this front. So definitely keep your eye on that. I got to be honest with you. So the backstory is me and Dito were at the Ty Law Hall of Fame in Canton last year, and Lawyer Malloy was there. There's a couple cocktails going around, but Lawyer Malloy was talking about Pat's Hall of Fame because Rodney Harrison just got inducted, and we were kind of talking about, we were like, have you ever been like a finalist? And he hasn't, and Lawyer Malloy hasn't really had that kind of respect that he that he should deserve. Now, granted, Lawyer Malloy and Patriots kind of left on you know sour terms, and Lawyer Malloy, then within five days playing for the Buffalo Bills, absolutely dominated the Patriots. They and the Bills won 31-0. But I think now looking back, you know, time heals all wounds. And Lawyer Malloy, especially if you're looking at that first half of the dynasty, uh, he he was uh, a, a, a he was a big value for for what they had. Um, and I think that especially now with Ty Law getting in the Hall of Fame. And now you're starting to see Richard Seymour trying to make his bid for Canton. Richard Seymour now is in the Pats Hall of Fame. Rodney Harrison's a Pats Hall of Fame. Lawyer Malloy does deserve to at least get some sort of credit with the New England Patriots organization, 100%. And people and discredit that because Rodney Harrison won two rings with us. He only won one. Uh, Lawyer Malloy did. But let's not forget, 1996, we went to the Super Bowl. He was a yeah. rookie, and he dominated. He didn't start till week seven. But after that, it was it was show's over. I mean, he dominated from 1996 to 2002 straight through. Four Pro Bowl appearances and an All-Pro in that time span. Ridiculous. He's the reason why we got to Green Bay, uh, well, against Green Bay in 1996. He's the reason why we got to 2001 against the Rams. He's the reason why the Belichick culture exists. Belichick made that selection for Lawyer Malloy in 1996. People don't know that. Belichick was the secondary's coach in 1996. He made Bill Parcells draft Lawyer Malloy at that spot in the second round, and it obviously paid off big time. But ironically then, Belichick's the one to screw Malloy out of another two rings, and now we need... This is the perfect time to reconcile with him. The perfect time to reconcile with a Patriots legend. And Belichick has been known over the last 20 years that it doesn't matter who you are, you'll cut ties with you at all time, and that's the pure example right there. He's that's the number one. That's the first example. He, he hand-select 
elected lawyer Malloy only five or six, seven years later, whatever it was, to then just say, we're, we're getting rid of you. We actually have your replacement already here, and I feel comfortable because I'm a coach and I'm doing what's best for the team. Yeah. Uh, sorry, as an individual player, you're good. Go, go somewhere else. Go get your money somewhere else. And uh, time heals all wounds, and I, and I want ride the wave, and I want Boston's big three. I want Boston's big three. Uh, those people that are listening to us, we need to make a stand together because guess what? We did that with Ty Law. Ty Law and his family said when the Spike King went out there and kept pushing for Ty Law and pushing, they said it. they felt that it had some sort of nudge with that. We could nudge the Patriots organization. We have our voices out there, and I think it's time that we, we do that with Lawyer Malloy. I hope that happens. Yeah, and final word before we go here. Guys, I'm going to leave you with a beautiful, beautiful image of what could have been, right? Bab, stream with me a little bit here. 2003. Lloyd Malloy still on the team. We have a secondary of Ty Law, Asante Samuel, Rodney Harrison, and Lloyd Malloy. Possibly the best secondary the NFL has ever seen. But we missed it. That's been, this has been Boston's Big Three. They still won a couple championships, though. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 58, Boston's Big Three. Thank you, Carl Freer, for coming on. That's it. Uh, Boston's Big Three, presented by Ride the Wave Media, sponsored today by Mass Vintage. Check out MassVintage.com. Peace.